Well, thank you so much. It's one of my favorite songs. In fact, I, I listen to it almost every Sunday when I drive down here because it touches my heart. Last week, we focused on the cross of Christ, that Jesus gave his life on the cross, paying for our sins. But today we come to celebrate the resurrection. Someone has said that Christians are is a, a Christianity is a religion of the cross. No, it's really a religion of the resurrection. So take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We'll begin in verse number 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter, therefore, also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. How does one respond to death? Some of you will remember some years ago that there was a character on Sesame Street named Mr. Hooper. The character who played Mr. Hooper died. And so the producers of the program were concerned how were they going to deal with the subject of death to their audience since their audience is mostly children. They called in a child psychologist and asked him, how should we handle this? And he said to them, well, don't say that Mr. Hooper got sick and died, because then when the children are ill, they'll think they are going to die. Don't say that he got old and died, because they think their parents are old, and that will cause them some issues. Don't say he died and went to heaven, because we don't want to interject religion into the issue. So they decided they would say that Mr. Hooper died, that he was gone, would not be back, but would be missed. On the day of the show, Big Bird came on to the set, and he was carrying a picture that he was going to give to Mr. Hooper. The other character there said, Big Bird, remember? We told you Mr. Hooper died. And Big Bird said, oh, that's right, I forgot. Well, I'll give it to him when he comes back. And they said, Big Bird, he isn't coming back. How do we deal with the death of someone? 
In our text, there are four different responses to the death of Jesus. First of all, there is the casual consideration of John. Now, if you look there in verse number four, it says, and the two were running together. The two disciples were Peter and John. The other disciple, that was John, ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So John then was the first to get to the tomb, and the Bible says that he saw the linen wrappings lying there. The word saw that is used is the Greek word blepo. It is a word that means to see, to glance, to look. It is a casual observation, not really paying attention, just to see, to look at, to glance at something, to see without really seeing. I suppose that every husband here knows what that means. I love the story about the lady who was sick on Easter Sunday, could not go to church, so her husband went without her. When he came from church, she said, well, how was church? He said, it was fine. She said, was Mrs. Smith there? Yes, she was. What was she wearing? I I really don't know. Was Mrs. Jones there? Yes, I saw Mrs. Jones. Did she have on a hat? I don't know. Did you see Mrs. Johnson? Yes, I I saw Mrs. Johnson. How was she wearing her hair? I I don't know. She said, honestly, John, I don't even know why you bother to go to church. (laughs) That's what this word means. It means to see, but not really see, just to glance at something, to look at something, but not really to see it. You'll see the same word in verse number one. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So the same word is used there. When Mary Magdalene came, she saw that the stone had been taken away, but she paid no attention to it. It was just gone. She she saw it, she looked at it, she glanced at it, but that was all. Now, ladies and gentlemen... I know that there are some of you here just like that today. You've heard the message so many times, the message of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, you know, you sort of listen to it, but you don't really hear it. The truth is some of you are far more interested in what you're going to do after the service is over, where you're going to eat, what someone is wearing, something of that nature. That was the response of John. That was the response of Mary Magdalene. To see without really seeing. But then we see Peter's response in verse number 6. Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there. All right, now then Peter got there second and he goes in and he also sees the linen wrappings. Same thing that John saw. Saw the linen wrappings lying there. But... The word is a different word. It is beheld. And this word means to examine, to study, to theorize. So when John came, he looked and saw the linen wrappings, but that was the end of it. 
Peter came, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and he said, what does this mean? What, what, what does that mean? And I think that he reached some conclusions. One was that the body had not been stolen. Because had someone stolen the body of Jesus, surely they would not have unwrapped the body and then carried the body out. After all, when Lazarus came forth from the grave, he was in his grave clothes. He was not unwrapped. So I think that he would have concluded no one stole the body. I think he also would have concluded that Jesus had not swooned. You see, in Jewish burial tradition... When they buried someone, they put a hundred pounds of spices in the folds of the, of the uh, garment. So had Jesus swooned and then he revived, there would have been spices scattered around the tomb, but it does not say that. So I think when Peter got there and he saw the linen wrappings, he asked himself the question, now, what does that mean with these wrappings still here? Well, the body had not been stolen and Jesus had not swooned. Now, I think that some of you are probably there. You're willing to scrutinize the story, to ask questions about the story. Did a miracle actually take place? That's, I mean, that's, that's what it says. Did, did a miracle actually take place? Was he raised from the dead? I mean, did that really happen? Was it a hoax? Maybe it was some sort of a hoax that was set up. Was it a hoax? Does it matter? And so I would think that some of you might be at the point where you're asking questions, not just a glance, not just to look, not just to see, but you're scrutinizing the message and asking questions about it. Third response is a response of doubt. And I understand doubt. I suppose that all of us do if we're honest about it. But we have to ask the question, are you an honest doubter or a dishonest doubter? There's a story I think I've shared with you before about Josh McDowell. Josh was speaking with someone who claimed to be an atheist. And as Josh talked to him about his atheism, Josh asked him the question, are you an honest atheist or a dishonest atheist? He said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, now an honest atheist is someone who has really studied the subject really read the books about apologetics to, to, to come to a conclusion. So an honest atheist then is someone who really studied the issue and then arrived at the conclusion that there is no God. He said, well, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't really done that. Josh said, then you don't know if, if it's true or not, if there is a God or not. He said, no, I guess I don't. He said, well, then you're not an atheist. You're an agnostic. He said, what's an agnostic? An agnostic is someone who doesn't know. He said, well, yes, that's what I am. I don't know. I'm an agnostic. He said, well, are you an honest or a dishonest agnostic? He said, well, what do you mean? And Josh said, well, now an honest agnostic is someone who wants to know. They don't know, but they want to know. He said, yeah, that's, that's, that's me. He said, I want to know. Josh said, well, then you're not an agnostic. He said, you're a seeker. We all understand doubt but we need to be honest with our doubt. Now, Thomas doubted in verse number 24. Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus or the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciple, therefore, were saying to him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, 
unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, you, you remember the story as to how Jesus appeared to the other disciples, but Thomas was not there. Those disciples then said to Thomas, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. He is alive. And Thomas said, well, I'm not going to believe that unless I take my finger and put in the nail prints of his hand, my hand thrust into his side. I'll not believe. He doubted. He doubted the truth of the message. But before we're too hard on Thomas, that was also true with the other disciples. The other disciples had problems with the message as well. In fact, when they heard about the resurrection of Christ, the Bible says in Luke 24, 11, and these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. These words appeared to them as nonsense. That was the disciples. So they also are doubting, is this really true? Is he really alive? So they were doubting the message. I would imagine that some of you also doubt. The question is, is it an honest doubt or dishonest doubt? Sigmund Freud wrote, there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found nor probably will ever be. And maybe that's the way you see it all. Well, it's a riddle. It's a puzzle. And I really don't know. I really don't understand it. But then there's the fourth response. And that's the response of faith. Now look at verse number 8. So the other disciple, that's John, who had first come to the tomb, entered then also and he saw and believed. Now I want you to see the progress of John here. In verse number 5, the Bible says that he saw, and that means to glance, it means to see, without really seeing. Different word is used there in verse number 8. It means to see with understanding. It means to know. So John, when he first got there, looked in and saw the linen wrappings, and he saw, but he really didn't see. But there in verse number 8, he realizes that he really is alive. That he really is alive. So he moved to faith. Thomas moved from doubt to faith. Thomas doubted the Lord. He said, I'll not believe until I take my hand and thrust it into his side. There was the doubt. But then look at verse number 27. Then he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He went from doubt to faith, from doubt to believing. Now then, I believe there's some of you like that. You are at the point today when you're honest, you're considering the message, and it is our prayer for you that you move from doubt or from question to faith, that he really is alive. So, responses to death, there's that casual consideration, there's scrutiny, there's doubt, and then faith. But then we'd ask the question, so what does it mean? Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead. So what does it mean? What is the result of it? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is a message of incredible comfort to the followers of Christ. Look at verse number 15. Jesus said to her, woman, 
Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. When Mary came to the cemetery, she was despairing. But when she heard her names from the lips of the Savior, she was comforted. Mary, Rabboni, my teacher. It was a message of comfort. Message of comfort for the disciples. Look at verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. You see, the Bible says that at that point the disciples were fearful for their lives. Had this happened to their Savior? Had this happened to Jesus? What was going to happen to them? And now here is Jesus in their midst. He was there. It was a message of great comfort to them. The resurrection brings comfort to us, does it not? When our loved ones die, to think that he is alive, what comfort that brings to us. When the doctor says to us, you have this serious condition, perhaps he says, there's nothing more that I can do. To know that Jesus is alive brings great comfort to us. Folks, the resurrection is a message of comfort. It comforts us because Jesus Christ is alive. And it is a message of joy. In verse number 20b, the Bible says, The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. The word joy, according to the Greek-English lexicon, means to enjoy a state of happiness and well-being. Do you see what happened because of the resurrection of Christ? Their fear was replaced with joy. Their hopelessness became a living hope. Their dreams that had been shattered became reality. And the dead was alive. The message of Easter, the resurrection, is a message of joy. The message of Christianity is a message of joy. I've just never understood why some Christians go around looking like they've been sucking on a sour pickle. I, mean, I don't know what they have, but I, I, I don't want it. It is a message of joy. Why? Because he removes our fear. He, he removes the fear of the future. You know, sometimes we are overwhelmed with what is going to happen in the future. What, what's, what's going to happen? Well, I don't know. But I know he holds the future. It doesn't make any difference what happens tomorrow. I know that he holds the future. Sometimes we are fearful of life. I mean, our lives are flavored with fear. We hear about all the uncertainties, the economic conditions in the world. We hear about what is happening in the Middle East, the threats of North Korea and all of those things, and we're unsettled as a result of it. But I want you to know that he is the author of life. He has removed our fear of death. Death is going to come to us someday if the Lord tarries his coming. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? It is a message of joy because he removes our fear. It is a message of joy because he provides us power. He did with the disciples. The disciples were totally changed. You recall that when Jesus was arrested, they fled for their lives, fearful for their lives. 
But after the resurrection, they were different men. They were men of courage. And the Bible says that those men who had fled for their lives went out to turn the world upside down for Jesus. Their lives were totally changed. The Apostle Paul lived in resurrection power. He said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Folks, the resurrected Christ gives us power for every circumstance we face. I was praying this morning. And you know, sometimes when you begin to go through all the the litany of things that are before you, the issues that you deal with, and the truth is there are those times when you're overwhelmed by them. And the Lord reminded me that His power is available for every circumstance in life. No matter what you're going through, my friend, no matter what you're facing, His power is sufficient for every circumstance of your life. He removes our fear. He provides us with power and he promises his presence. He said, I I will never leave you. He's with us today. I like the song, Steve. He is here. You know, we sing this and he is here. And to think that the Lord is here. Did you know that when you came this morning that the Lord is here? You know, sometimes we pray and say, Lord, we come into your presence. Folks, you're always in his presence. It's not like he's gone somewhere. He's here. He's here. Well, if he's with us today, he's going to be with us tomorrow. And that's the promise that he makes that I'll never leave you. Now, the come see always includes a responsibility. It is go tell. We come see that the tomb is empty, but then we go tell others. Mary, in verse number 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary, go tell the good news. Go tell the good news. He said to the disciples in verse number 21, Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He said to the disciples, go tell the good news. And folks, that's the assignment to the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, Jesus said, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Go tell. In Christian theology in plain language, they wrote a church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms. Just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. Ladies and gentlemen, if we believe the message that we proclaim, that Jesus is alive, we should do everything within our power to share that message with everyone we can. There's the result of the resurrection. He brings comfort. He brings joy and responsibility. But then... The resurrection provides the reality of our hope. Hope is so important. I was watching um, Kansas and Michigan play Friday evening. I'll not tell you who I was for, but I was watching the game. And as I watched the game, Kansas was winning. I mean, they were up, I think, by 14 points at one time. Three minutes left, they were up by 10 points. It looks like it's a done deal. 
But then Michigan began to score. And as I watched them, the thing that really amazed me was that I began to see the hope that was in Kansas diminish. And I began to see the hope increase in Michigan. They tied it, went into overtime, and they won it. Hope is so important. In the resurrection, it reminds us, it gives us the hope of life over death, that life is victorious, that Jesus defeated death. Do you realize that? Jesus defeated death. The best explanation of the empty tomb is that he is alive. You say, well, uh, you know, that's a good story. Or is there any evidence? Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 7. He appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now the Bible says the resurrected Christ appeared to 500 at one time. It's hard for me to believe that 500 people were delusional at the same time. He appeared to people. And then there is the life that changed that happened with the disciples. They were totally changed by the resurrection. I read in the encyclopedia, it says the change in the fleeing disciples to bold confessors was an even greater miracle than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They were totally changed by the resurrection. And if the resurrected Christ is a part of your life, you will be changed as well. We have hope because we have life over death. We have hope because good triumphs over evil. He provided victory over sin because he took all of our sins. When he was on the cross, he took all of my sins and all of your sins, and he paid for them there. He gives us victory over grief in verse number 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They went from grief to joy. He gives us victory over guilt. Friend, I know that there are some of you who are dealing with guilt in your life that God forgives. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He gives us victory over sin, victory over guilt. He forgives us, but not, did you know, not only does he forgive us, he also forgets our sins. Did you know that? We can't do that. I might forgive you, but I don't know if I'm going to forget it. You know, we hear that all the time. Well, I'm, I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget. Only God can forget. But that's what the Bible promises. The psalmist said that, he, that sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. Jeremiah said God would remember our sins no more. Micah said God would bury our sins in the deepest sea. Paul said God would forgive and cover our sins. Well, let me ask you, how do you see the empty tomb? We come to the resurrection story this morning. How do you see it? Well, some of you probably casual consideration. You hear the story, but really don't pay much attention to it. I hope you don't stop there, but I would think probably some would. Maybe you're scrutinizing it, seriously asking, what does it mean? 
Or maybe you say, well, I, you know, I'm, I, I have some doubts. It's okay. Just, just be honest about it. Be an honest doubter. Try to find out. Because it's my prayer that you'll move to faith. You see, it is the resurrection that provides us with hope. And I know you need hope. It's the resurrection that provides us with hope. Dr. Criswell, for many years, pastored First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He was on an airplane and happened to be seated to a well-known theologian. They began to talk. The theologian told him about his son, his young boy, who had recently died with meningitis. And he told Dr. Criswell the, um, the story of the last minutes of his boy's life. He said that he was seated there with his boy and his son said, Daddy, it's getting dark, isn't it? And his father said, yes, it's, it's very dark, son. The boy said, I guess it's time for me to go to sleep, isn't it? And the dad said, yes, son, it's time for you to go to sleep. And the boy said, good night, daddy. I'll see you in the morning. And the father said, Dr. Criswell, I can hardly wait till the morning. That is the resurrection. It is the morning that follows the night. It is life over death. It is hope over despair. And it's heaven over hell. Do you know Jesus, the resurrected Christ? If not, I pray today that you might move to faith and say today, I commit my life to the resurrected Christ. Our Father in God, we come now to a time of invitation. And I pray that the Holy Spirit might speak to people's hearts, that they might move from doubt, from scrutiny, wherever they happen to be, to a place of faith they would come to you Lord Jesus thank you so much for giving your life that we might have life thank you for the resurrection that gives us life Lord bless this time we pray in Christ's name Amen